Hey everyone, today we are talking about why your art needs a background. If you are looking to strengthen and flex your art muscle, ArtProf is the community for you. We have tutorials, critiques, and more, and it's all for free. Clara, would you like to get us started? Yeah, backgrounds are something that oftentimes people just don't do at all. Blatantly blank sheet of paper background. And I would say the worst offender of that is probably in art school portfolios. Kat, why do you think a lot of art school portfolios like Jordan's art school portfolio have these just blatantly nothing in the background situations? Hmm. I think it's a reflection of how little people think about backgrounds in general. It's not just reserved to art school portfolios, but we see it most in art school portfolios because that's a huge concentration of somebody's work. And so when you don't have a background in your own concentration of work, it's very apparent. So that's why we have to like pull up this example. But people get really intimidated by a background too. Not only do they not think about it, but maybe they overthink it and they think, oh, it's too much of a hassle to have a world in my images. So I'll just leave it out completely. And that's a huge mistake. Diti, why do you think backgrounds are so intimidating for a lot of people? And tell us in the chat, how many of you here is one of those, oh, I don't wanna do a background people. Well, I think backgrounds really are creating space and worlds. And that's a lot more effort and thought that is required than just drawing a tree branch or a bark. Um, so there is more like effort to be put into and more, you know, thought being put into when you're engaging with the background, but that payoff is so huge and really does elevate and create like a piece that's so well-rounded. But I think that's where the intimidation comes from is it's really easy to pick up a piece of a hair clip and be like, I'm going to draw this, but it's harder to think about why you're drawing it and what space this hair clip exists in and what narrative it's telling. That's a whole nother level of thought, but it also creates a really interesting piece. And I think it's tricky because a lot of times people just don't even think about it. They're not even aware that it's something they should work on. Or I see this in the discord all the time where people have like a beautifully painted portrait and then they post it for feedback and the portrait's like done. And then they come in and they say, what do I do with the background now? What's the problem with that, Kat? A background has to be integrated with your subject matter. You cannot just have your subject matter flow in space and then think, okay, now I will build the entire world around this character, this subject. These two things have to be thought of together because the subject exists in this world. But if you just draw the subject first and then think about the background later, well, that automatically just separates the two and it will make your piece fall apart. Well, here's an interesting example. This is an artist named Alpe Effie. I'm probably not saying that correctly, my apologies. But I believe somebody in the Discord posted their work and was asking, oh, what do you think about this? Because the background is fairly white and blank, but there is some integration of the figure into the background. This is not straight white. This is more of a lavender color. What's your take on this, Deep D? Do you consider this a blank background like the art school portfolio drawings or do you think this is a totally different thing? I think it's kind of in that gray area in between because I see this artist 
playing with some interesting ideas of the background integrating itself in the subject. In this piece specifically, there's some of that blue and the ribbon coming in on the top. So there's a little bit of thought put into the background, but it also kind of just seems, in my opinion, a little lazy and a little um, repetitive. You know, if, if it was just one piece that they did, but I remember, Clara, you saying that you looked into this artist's portfolio and all of their pieces have a pretty similar background situation. And I think that integration of background and subject is interesting, but again, I don't see the why and I don't see intent or purpose here, which is um, my main qualm with with his, or sorry, their uh, body of work. Kat, would this fly for you? Uh, I understand that perhaps conceptually a black blank background could be necessary, but the fact that there's a blank background for every single piece in this artist's body of work just shows to me that they aren't thinking about it, that this is sort of like a crutch that they are leaning on. The blank background also makes the whole piece feel very unfinished. And there's nothing wrong with that. There are pieces that can feel like studies and, you know, they are studies, but I see this artist has a lot of skill and potential to branch out of this very specific way of painting. And it frustrates me to not see the branching out. It frustrates me to see this crutch again and again. This comment from Lisa H is interesting and I think relevant with this artist where it says folks forget background because they're thinking about the subject. It's what pulled them in. And I think that's a really good point. A lot of times you're drawn into the subject and you're not really thinking about the big picture and the space that the subject inhabits. And I think this artist is clearly drawn to these figures, a lot of them being beautiful women, but I don't think that they're thinking kind of about them existing in space, maybe as like three-dimensional people. Um, it, it Like this piece specifically reminds me of like the girl with the pearl earring, Vermeer's piece in a way, um, just like the pose in the background. I'm curious, Clara, do you see any parallels there or thoughts on that kind of comparison? It just popped in my mind. <laughs> really? I don't think it looks anything like girl with the pearl earring because the thing about Vermeer's portraits is that they're so specific to the time period, the outfits and even the jewelry and the way their hair is done. And oftentimes with Vermeer, you do get these intricate Dutch interiors with light coming in and checkerboard floors. And the thing about this portrait, and this is maybe one of the reasons I don't like the lack of background, is it's just a physical description of what this person looks like. I don't know anything about them beyond what they look like physically. And I think if you don't do backgrounds, it's a real missed opportunity. It's like you have so much potential to tell so much about a person in the story. And what, you're just gonna skip out on that opportunity? I just think that there's so much more that this artist could be doing here. All right, let's move on to The Matrix. I'm sure a lot of people have seen this. And why are they making another Matrix movie? Like, come on, the last few were so bad. Anyway, <laughs> there is this scene in The Matrix that has a totally blank white background. It's really blatant because I do have a lot of people who say to me, well, Clara, you're always telling people no white backgrounds. Well, what if you really, really need a white background? And my answer is always, there's nothing wrong with the white background, but there really should be a reason why you need it there. So Kat, why does the white background here function as more than just, oh, I don't want a background. <laughs> 
this particular scene is portraying the matrix itself, which is sort of like this infinite made up space in your brain that they just project humans into, human consciousnesses into. Um, and then you can just make up whatever you want in this world. And I think in order to make up anything you want, you need to have a beginning and the start, it makes sense for it to be completely blank. So it is completely possible to make anything you want in this world. And I think this is a great comment from Brittany who says, this scene felt so uncomfortable. It was scarily blank and empty. Why do you think the blankness felt a little bit difficult to look at? Well, personally, I think about like, when is the last time that you have ever been in a space that was so vast and so empty? It's very unusual and it's very jarring. And I think that's the point in this scene is to make you feel that loneliness and that vastness and that creepiness, but also the endless possibilities. So I think that lack of background actually works incredibly well here because it's something that we're really not used to. And when I talk about background, a lot I'm talking about like narrative and purpose. And here it really, really aids that narrative. Another version where you have a totally stark white background was in this film, Yellow Submarine with the Beatles. Who here saw this film? Because I watched this film over and over and over again when I was a kid. I had the whole thing memorized. And so there's this one scene where they go and they meet the Nowhere Man. A lot of you probably know that song. And part of the lyrics is Nowhere Man in his Nowhere Land. And that's what they're trying to show here visually. It's just this stark emptiness. And I remember he makes all these things within the Nowhere Land, similar to The Matrix, where you can just paint this world in a way from nothing. But then this is like the last scene where he's like all alone and the Beatles have left and he's just rotating in this little white space. <laughs> what is it about the white space here, Kat, that is different than The Matrix? Okay, so I haven't seen this film in its entirety, so I'm not exactly contextually sure where the scene lands in. But in The Matrix, we saw all these like gruesome scenes of people in pods and, um, <laughs> and grimy spaces and blah, blah, blah. And then once you see that stark white background, it's such a visual skip and it's impactful in that way. Whereas in this yellow submarine scene, perhaps the whole thing did occur in a white background. And I think that the white background in this case functions as something that's always there versus like the matrix where you have different kinds of scenes. So in the yellow submarine, there's the Beatles, there's like, props, there are people in a white space, suddenly the white space doesn't feel so white. But then when all of these things are gone and no nobody, man, no, no one man is just alone, rotating the middle of this blank space, suddenly it feels lonely. So it's all about contextualizing this background. All right, so let's take a look at some artists who we think use backgrounds in innovative ways. So Deepti, tell us about photographer Tyler Mitchell. So Tyler Mitchell is this really cool young um, photographer who I think is based in New York, and he does a lot of fashion editorial photography. Um, and I think that that's an area of photography sometimes I see that isn't like relies a lot about like the clothing or the celebrity that's in it and doesn't really think of creating interesting spaces. And in Tyler's work, I think that like the way he plays with composition, the way he plays with fabric, 
lighting and the space that these people are inhabiting is so interesting. Like in this piece, you know, you can't help but notice how these figures are really integrated into the landscape. And what does that say about them and them as people? Their heads are almost exactly in line with the um, the tree line, you know, and, and they're immer immersed in water. And even in this, you know, Harry Styles, it says so much about his personality, the clouds on the ground. It's so playful. And Tyler's also like creating these backgrounds. It's not just like he put Harry in uh, oh, like a landscape and was like, cool, pose. You know, the it's very deliberate, the trampoline, the kind of trampoline, this tarpy sky on the floor, the fact that Harry's jumping, you know, it tells us a lot about this person. Um, and I think that is really, really important. It, it Imagine this piece without the trampoline or that cloudy background and Harry just sitting or, or jumping, but it, all these other elements are there. It's a completely different piece in my opinion. Well, Kat, how are these different than your stereotypical Vogue magazine cover celebrity photograph? Well, Deepthi mentioned before this stream that this photographer uses background as part of the narrative in these images, because normally when people take photographs of celebrities, it's just celebrity. <laughs> the celebrity carries the entire concept of the photograph. But in this case, it's both celebrity and the strange narrative that they find themselves in. It's the background. It is the world they inhabit. And that makes these photographs stand out. Suddenly, these celebrities aren't just, oh, like you have a parasocial relationship with this person you've seen on the screen all the time. No, instead, now they are people in a world. I'm going to give a shout out to Amaris. Thank you so much for the super chat who says you guys are the best community. Awesome as well. We greatly appreciate your support. And there are several other animations. So if you want to see them, you're going to have to get some of those super chats going. Well, what impresses me about this work is that when you're a photographer, unless you're taking them to the rainforest and you're just going to use that as a backdrop, it's a ton of work to build these sets and to get the right lighting. And I think a lot of them make it look very easy, but it's very common that people put together these backgrounds. They just look so fake. And what I like about these is that we know they're staged, but they're staged with so much intent. The way that these two figures, they almost immerse themselves into the background and the faces are actually very small as far as acreage goes in the composition. And your typical celebrity portrait is all about the face. So I really like seeing how different that is. Kat, tell us about Fantastic Planet. Fantastic Planet is a French experimental film from 1970s. And it's just a strange alien world. Actually, this is totally Deep D's cup of tea. <laughs> In fact, Deep D, you really like this film, right? Yes, I, I love this film. It's so bizarre and really uncomfortable. But like you said, that's totally up my alley. <laughs> Yeah, and I just see that the creators of this film pulled different visual resources to create this entirely alien landscape. Like I see a little bit of maybe Bosch paintings. I see a little bit of Salvador Dali in the background as well. But it's never like this is Dali. It's this is Dali and this is some other creator's hand in it as well. And it just makes this super, super unique world. And the world is what really carries Fantastic Planet. 
we have a question from Slepnir who says, what happens when the background takes over? Deep D, do you think there is such a thing where the background just totally absorbs the characters and we lose all sight of the artwork? Yes and no. I think that that, can ha that has a lot to do with your process and your thought process. Background, like we've said multiple times, is an integral part of your piece as a whole. And I think it needs to be thought about in the thumbnailing early stages. And when you do that, it's obviously going to integrate perfectly well because you're paying attention, you're giving it the same amount of attention you are as your subject. Um, but when you're slapping on a background at the very end, it you know can be overwhelming. There's this comment that we have from Seven Angelic that says you can become scared of your background detracting from your main subject. And I, I think that's a similar comment in the sense that I think that can only happen when you're slapping on a background at the very end. And then there's obviously competition because they weren't thought about in the same way and weren't, you know, molded together in that same way. I find what has to happen when you're building an artwork with characters, figures, and a background, you have to go back and forth. You can't just say, okay, I'm going to draw the background and I'm going to paint the figures over it. And you can't do it the other way either. And so I think it has to be there from the get-go, not just visually, but just story-wise. Like, could you imagine this movie without the background? I mean, I haven't even seen it, but I can't picture that it would ever work. It would not function without the background, but it also would not function with the, without the characters. So yes, you have to think about them in conjunction. You cannot separate them. It's not a fact of let's focus on a character or let's focus on the background. It's a fact of looking afar and seeing it as a whole. That is how you should see your artwork. Jane says, if anything in my work, I wonder if I rely too heavily on backgrounds. They default to quote an illustration think I would like to work on going more minimal or abstract in my backgrounds. Deep, do you have any suggestions? Because backgrounds are hard. I mean, we're all telling you you need to do it, but it's not an easy thing to balance. I think that really what it comes down to is like really spending some time on your thumbnail sketches and figuring out that aspect of um, how your background is integrated. And I think a lot of times we think of like, background and subject. But I think Fantastic Planet is a great example of like, it's all just a world and we're all we're really getting immersed into this whole world. So I think don't worry too much about like that push and pull about background and foreground or background and subject, but really think about the harmony of it all and how the subject is informing the background and how the background is informing the subject. Um, and that will help create just a really complete whole piece rather than a piece that feels like it's fighting for your attention. I also think once you start separating them, saying, this is the background, these are the characters, that's when you get in trouble because then your mind starts treating them separately when really a good story and a good movie, <laughs> like Doctor Strange, I mean, this movie has so many just wacko buildings going into mm -hmm. mazes and it gets so intricate. And I feel like in a lot of the scenes, the figures are sort of gone in a way and all you really can look at is the architecture i mean is that a problem for this movie cat i haven't seen this film but i don't think it is a problem because background can drive a story just as well as a character can it's the fact that people separate them that's the problem because they have to work together 
yeah, you know, like if you have a doctor in the hospital, you know, the doctor's got to be in the hospital for it to make sense. So, yes, such a great example. Or look at this. Like there's this Byzantine church design in the background. And then the lighting really affects the figure. So the candles are a great example that that's something in the background, but that the lighting is affecting the figure. And so I think the more places that all of you can, <laughs> sorry, I'm getting distracted. The more focus. You can, <laughs> focus. Clara, oh God. get a grip, please. <laughs> Control yourself I, right now. He has two movies coming out this fall, and Doctor Strange 2 is coming out next January. I'm happy for you. <laughs> but what does that have to do with backgrounds, Clara? <laughs> um, it's it's a back Benedict Cumberbatch is in a background, right? But there you go. <laughs> Benedict Cumberbatch <laughs> lives in a world. <laughs> he lives in a world, exactly. You need to oh, build a world for him. Anyway, this is really oh interesting. I just just give me a minute, okay? Just Oh my god. <laughs> Brittany says, I love the backgrounds in Doctor Strange. They're a character all on their own. They add to the mysticism of his superhero powers. Exactly. So I don't know that there is such a thing as a background being too much. I think maybe visually something might need to change your balance, but sometimes the background is more important than the characters. And that's okay. I, I just think it's not as common for people to think about it that way. All right, deep deep. How about Victoria Vincent? Victoria Vincent is this awesome illustrator and animator uh, who's in her 20s, I think, um, and is known for creating these pretty chaotic, somewhat gory illustrations and animations. And all of her work is just so intense and saturated and chaotic. And I think she's a wonderful example of like narrative and backgrounds and creating interesting perspectives and space and how you can really oversaturate a piece but and pay so much attention to the background but like there's like for example that whole like can background distract from foreground I think that she clearly thumbnailed this and paid a lot of attention to composition and all of that and the background is so chaotic and overwhelming but that doesn't distract from like this subject sitting on a cake or the fo the foreground characters in here so I think her work is an incredible example of like how lighting and space and all of that can inform your piece as a whole and background is a huge element in that. Christiana says, how do you develop your aesthetic sense when learning to draw backgrounds? Kat, any advice? I would look into this kind of story you want to tell or the focus of your piece. For instance, I'm creating a graphic novel about antique stores. Have you been to an antique store? They're pretty chaotic. <laughs> There's just objects everywhere. Therefore, that is the aesthetic sense I am building my story around, building my backgrounds around but maybe you want your character to be like a nobody man <laughs> in nobody land <laughs> in which case how would that look like well then your aesthetic sense would gear towards something more simplistic something that is more blank so just go back reflect upon the narrative of your piece and also do research like maybe you want to do a piece about I don't know a flea market or something, you should probably go to a flea market and feel how that space feels to you and then try to draw that. Deepti, why do you think that matters? Because we have 
everything at the click of our fingertips. If I want to look up night market in Taiwan, there's probably thousands of images. But how is the experience of being at the night market different than just doing a Google image search? A Google image search is going to show you a very specific perspective and someone else's perspective. When you're actually there, you get to smell the smells. You get to like, you know, think about going to a carnival. You get to smell the smells. You're being bumped around. You're hearing children screaming. You're hearing all the noises and it really shifts your perspective and your interaction with the space as a whole, which you just cannot get through looking at photos or watching a YouTube video. You really have to be immersed in that space. It uses all of your senses. And then you can use that knowledge and that experience to create a really whole piece. I mean, that's not to say that you can always do that. I mean, I would love to just go to a market in Morocco, but obviously I can't do that, in which case there are other ways to research as well. Kat, how about Richard McGuire? Tell us about his work. Richard McGuire created Here, which is a pretty revolutionary, iconic comic in the comic world. Basically, it tells the story of a room in a house and this space through decades of time. So sometimes it will show this space many hundreds of years before, or sometimes it will show a hundred years in the future, or sometimes it will show the present. But what's really revolutionary is that in one spread, Richard McGuire shows different timelines. So as you can see in this spread, it is the same room of a whole bunch of mistakes happening in different periods of time, but it's always the same space. But even though it is the same space, you can see that the background for each of these panels changes drastically to sort of put you into the mindset of this specific time period. This is such a great example because this is not just, oh, let's make a background look real. I mean, he's messing with all kinds of things, time periods, space. It's really amazing. I mean, I've never seen this comic before. I mean, it sounds like just a brilliant space. Um, Deepti, how do you think he's handling it? Because he does have these like panels, might be a little hard for people to see, but there's like a year in the upper left-hand corner, that little like gray square. So what do you think about this? This is so unlike anything we've looked at so far. Yeah, I've never heard of this person or seen their work before, but I think there is something to be said about like how we're interacting with it now and how the artist imagined it being interacted with. Like it is a book you said, Kat, like a graphic novel. Um, so, you know, it, it there are the years and stuff and it's a bit hard to see in this, but like imagine interacting with it in your hands. I think that's such a interesting and tactile relationship you can have with the piece that's so specific and i like this has my mind racing with so many ideas i think it's such a cool idea and such an interesting way of showing space and time um i think it's brilliant justin is saying can i make a complete piece without a subject and just a background cat what do you think Absolutely. Well, in this case, the background is your subject. Like, what are landscape paintings? <laughs> the subject is the landscape, right? So yes, totally possible, Justin. And I would say for those of you who are saying in the chat that backgrounds are something that you struggle with, that's probably a good exercise. If you're somebody who has skipped out on backgrounds in the past, do a couple of pieces where there's no figures. And then you're really going to have to learn how to activate those spaces, because I know I did that for a long time. I would just fall back on the figures to carry everything for me. And backgrounds can say a lot about a 
person. Deepti, how do you think a background can be a storytelling tool? Oh my gosh, it's it's like think about an exercise where you draw your bedroom and then your three closest friends' bedrooms, where you know it's just you walk in and there's no tidying done. It can tell you can tell so much about a person about like the space that they inhabit. Um, and I think that's a great example of like the power of background and how often you don't even need a subject in there to learn a really whole story. So I think, you know, that has a lot to do with like the power of backgrounds. And that's a good exercise, you know, draw your bedroom without you in there and show us your personality through what is there, how it is. I mean, Victoria Vincent's pieces that we were looking at earlier, all of their characters are so chaotic. And you can tell that just by the spaces that they're inhabiting. You don't even need to look at the figures. John Murph says, what would you guys say about a background that is blurred because of, I don't know how to say this word. I know what it is. It's like when you have a blurry background in a photograph, is it bokeh? People tend to take pictures with bokeh. Do you know what I'm talking about, Kat? Not really. I can envision some sort of photography element to that, but I don't know this word. But in this case, I'd say that, you know, sometimes conceptually it works. And a background that is blurry but still has color and you know something visual going on that's still a background a minimalistic background is still a background but you have to have some thought into it you can't just take millions of photographs and all of them have this bokeh bokeh effect mm -hmm. <laughs> then it becomes monotonous i also think that you have to just try lots of backgrounds get some experience drawing an outdoor street doing architecture, doing an interior space, doing a rainforest. I, I think a lot of people, they just don't have a lot of experience drawing different types of backgrounds. And oftentimes in the Discord, people will say to me, well, can I just, I'm like, if you're asking me that question, you probably shouldn't. You probably, there's some part of you that knows deep down you're making an excuse for why you don't want to deal with it. And so if any of you are really struggling with backgrounds, just make yourself do it. Like it's hard, but deep deep doesn't it get easier? It definitely gets easier. And it's honestly not as hard as you think. You just have to figure out how to approach it. And I think the first step we see a lot of times that people aren't doing is just approaching it from the start. So just, you know, as soon as you are even thinking about drawing something or photographing something or whatever, think about the space and think about the background too. And you'll find that it becomes a lot easier when you're thinking about it from the get-go. So this is a little bit of a follow-up from John Murph who says, when do you think a blank or somewhat neutral background is okay? When is space make your artwork stronger? It goes back to what we were saying earlier is like, you guys have to stop hanging on to your white backgrounds. They're not that great. I mean, sometimes they are, but you have a whole universe of possibilities. Why would you say to yourself, oh, but can I just blur it? Can I just make it neutral? It's like, yeah, you can, but you're only tapping into like 1% of the potential there that you can have with a background. Okay, let's take a look at another artist. This is a Hungarian Indian artist named Amrita Shurgil. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly. But I just found her work, and I sort of can't believe that I didn't know about her work before. Deepti, I know that you've known about her work. I think you said her painting was your phone background. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, she was just one of the few like Indian painters that um, I was, you know, you learn about Frida, Frida Kahlo in school, but like you don't learn about Amrita. So like, um, I remember finding her work when I was in college and just being like, oh my God, she's like me. <laughs> uh, she's an artist and she's Indian. So I, I really liked her work. And she does a lot of just, you know, work about uh, rural life in India and just uh, women and femininity, which I think is like, beautiful and very interesting. So I really like her work. Kat, have you seen her work before? No, I haven't seen her work before, but it is very beautiful. I like how it's just the colors are so warm. And even though these are like rural landscapes that I'm not familiar with, I feel a sense of familiarity with it, even though I've never seen this before. And I think it is the way Amrita is painting these subjects and backgrounds for the viewers. And I do think backgrounds get better the more specific you can be. I mean, how many times have we seen that generic block cube city where every single window is the exact same rectangle? And it's like, mm -hmm. this is so specific to where she lived. And I just think there's a difference between saying this painting is in London versus this painting is in Beijing. It's such a different thing. Like, why would you not want to make that distinction if it was in your power to do? Angie Schaefer says, backgrounds can better define the negative space around your subject too. If you're struggling with a figure or some other subject, the shape surrounding it in the background can help chisel it. Do you agree, DP? Absolutely. I mean, it's all about interaction and lighting and space. Like if you are having trouble with the lighting. And um, a lot of times on our Discord, people are drawing portraits and they're like, it's just not working. The lighting feels weird. And I'm like, okay, well, why does it, like, what is the lighting source? Is it the sun? Is it, uh, are you in a blank studio? That all defines the, um, the figure. And I think that has a lot to do with the space and how lights like reflecting off of the walls or their grass or, you know, the surroundings. So I think background and space really, really can help define the figure and that negative space around, like you said, it's, it's very, very useful. Kat, I'm curious if you have the same experience that I have, which is sometimes I just want to get my drawing going. And I feel like if I fill in the big shapes in the background first, for some reason, everything else feels like it comes to me faster, as opposed to if I just started on the eyes in the portrait. Is that the case for you? Oh, yeah, exactly. I feel that all people should start their artworks this way, starting with the big shapes and then getting more detailed. Whenever I'm even just drawing a portrait, like a person, we're not even going to talk about background just yet. I don't just start with the eyes of a person. I don't start with their pupils. I don't start with their eyelashes. I start with their head. <laughs> and it should be the same in a whole piece. I shouldn't just start with like a little person in the middle. I should focus on the big shapes that create the composition of this piece, which includes the background. Well, because Deep D, you did that music video, which had a really cool background that kept changing and it was like super dynamic and you had characters in there. But like what percentage of acreage did that character most of the time take up within the video frame? I'm going to guess that most of the time the background was bigger in terms of shape than the character, right? Absolutely. I mean, a lot of times the figure wasn't even there. It was the 
subject's little truck driving around the space. But absolutely, the space was a huge narrative element. And the space told us a lot about this like lost little cowboy navigating, you know, this alien desert. Thank you so much, John Murph, who says, I like that we are encouraged to create backgrounds. We so much appreciate your support and for asking all the good questions, because a lot of the stuff that we discuss here, it becomes richer when all of you ask those questions and become part of that conversation. It's not such a one-way street. Art Prof has a podcast. It's available on Spotify and also on iTunes. And in a few minutes, Deep D and Kat will be in the Art Prof Discord. Please hang out with them in the post live streams channel so we can chat more about negative space and music videos and all that. Subscribe to our channel, like this video, leave us a comment. A big thank you to our top Patreon supporters for giving us the resources we need to make sure that everybody has access to a free art education. Thanks so much for watching. We'll see you next time. Bye.